play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, the show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, and science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, comedian Heather McMahon. I get told all the time now, people say, like, my physicality on stage is like I'm Chris Farley's sister, and that is the biggest compliment to me. Heather is heading out on tour this weekend, doing stand-up across the country through November. We talk about the elaborate Italian cake she served at her wild Italian wedding, and what she likes to eat now that she's back to living in her hometown of Atlanta. I know nothing about the Atlanta food scene. So Atlanta-based food writer Jennifer Zeman joins the show to tell us all about Buford Highway, one of the most diverse dining destinations in the country. That is coming up later in the show, but right now, here's my conversation with Heather McMahon. When Heather and I spoke, she had just gotten home from tour, but she only had a 12-hour break before she had to head back out on the road again. Her top priority was going to the chiropractor, but of course, I wanted to know, what does somebody eat when they have a 12-hour break and they're back home in their own kitchen? Okay, so I tried to get, like, be really healthy because eating on the road is just, you're an animal. You're lucky if you're eating tacos or pizza at 1 a.m. after a late comedy show. When I'm home, I like to have, like, 24 hours of health and wellness. It never ends up being that way. No. It's, I'm going to order Chick-fil-A on DoorDash because I'm in a medically induced coma and don't want to leave my house or Chipotle or something gross. I eat worse when I'm home for 12 hours than when I'm on the road. Her new stand-up show is called The Comeback Tour. The theme of this tour is I'm back from the honeymoon. So I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary of this big avant-garde, over-the-top Italian wedding that I had in Florence. And I am basically picking apart the layers and revealing all the dirty secrets that happened behind the scenes and what it was like to survive a 30-day honeymoon in Italy with my husband who brought his own golf clubs and didn't play golf once. <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute show. Well, also, I mean, this was what, your like 10th, 12th, 30th attempt at a wedding because you were supposed to get married and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, and you know, honestly, we got married at the courthouse. We've been legally married for a few years and everyone was like, why did you end up going ahead with the wedding? I'm like, listen, you're clearly not Italian. I'm Italian. If you ever pay anybody cash for a deposit for anything, you're never going to see that money again. So yeah. you better go ahead and just have the party. His last name's Daniels and my last name's McMahon. So people have, they're like, they just think we're English, you know? Yeah, you're in the Italian uh, witness protection program, basically. A hundred percent. Meanwhile, my great grandfather's from Sicily and like it's straight out of a scene from White Lotus. So it's insane. I read a quote from you where you said, I am literally the worst chef in America. Uh, tell me more about that. Well, you know, my mom was an incredible chef and still is. But I was one of those kids like growing up, you know, even with an Italian mom, you'd think that I would be allowed in the kitchen. But she was so particular in how she made everything that we were never allowed in. It was like, you know, get your hand out of the bowl. You're making a mess. Get out of my domain. This is my area. So I didn't learn, you know, those people say, oh, I learned from my mom watching her, helping her make meatballs. My mom would slap my hand and be like, you know, go, go clean the cat's box. Get out of here. You're just making, <laughs> making a mess. Oh my God. My mom was like that with cleaning. It was so odd. I remember as a kid, even I would ask if I could mow the lawn because I thought it looked fun because you're yeah. a little bit younger than me, but did you ever watch Can't Buy Me Love? Did you see yes, that movie? Of course, yes. Yeah. And remember he had the riding lawnmower? 
That was yes. his job. Not that we had one. Anyway, I wanted to mow the lawn. My mom wouldn't let me. She wouldn't let us clean because she said, I'll just have to go back and do it again. And so that's funny that your mom did the same with cooking. Can I tell you, I've turned into that person whenever hmm. I try. And, you know, like I have a housekeeper, I've got somebody to come and do a deep clean. But when I'm it's almost like a a form of like meditation for me. I love a vacuum. Give me a Swiffer and I will hit the corners. And then my husband will be like, do you want me to help? I'm like, no, no, you can't do it like I can, which is like no. a psychotic thing to do, right? Like, it's yes. insane. My mom used to help make us play. She'd call it Cinderella. And she would give us, uh, you know, a wet cloth with, you know, some probably horrible, harsh chemical, just like riddled with ammonia. And we would wash the baseboards. And I thought that was the most fun game as a kid. Oh my God, genius. Your mom was yeah. very smart. Really, yeah. <laughs> But I know that you have a sitcom in the works that is around living with your mother and your husband. Yeah. Are you still all living together? Yes, we're still all living together. I mean, my mom's called me three times since we started recording this podcast. <laughs> like, you know, she probably has a flat tire at TJ Maxx. I'm doing the best I can, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, we all moved in. I mean, my husband and I were in New York and we kind of bugged out to Atlanta. And my mom was like, you know, I, well, what am I going to do with this house? And I was like, we'll take it. So we're the th threes company. Um Truly. And we're still developing the show about my life, living at home and like being on the road. And, you know, my mom and my husband have such a unique relationship because they're like BFF. And then I come mm. back from the road and I'm like the odd man out. You know, I'm just like Daddy Warbucks at this point. <laughs> was this because your dad passed away? I'm so sorry. Is that what the catalyst was for moving in with your mom? Yeah. Um, you know, my dad had passed from pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I told my mom, I was like, sell the house. Like, you don't need this house. And then it just so happened that the pandemic hit and then we all came together and I was like, what are we doing? Like, this is home for me. I love it. I love being in Atlanta. You know, I live a crazy life. I'm on the road all the time. I, I'm in three new cities every weekend. So for me to come home to a city like Atlanta and just be in my childhood home, it's very comforting and soothing at the end of the day. Do you guys eat together? Do you oh, yeah. your own thing? Oh, yeah. My husband just got this Traeger grill. He's a griller. Like, I hate to be stereotypical about men, but my husband's smoking every kind of meat you can imagine. My mom's whipping everything else up. We are big, like the three of us sit down and have a family meal. And do you get out of it because you're like, I can't cook like you guys. Exactly. But I am running a tight um, wine collection right now. That is mm. where I can contribute. So uh, there's one thing I do know about. It's wine. I guess the family sommelier and bartender, if you will. Nice. You know, yeah. for someone like me who is obsessed with food, I like to drink wine, but I don't really know anything about it. What is it for you that you're interested in? So for me, I've always just had a very sophisticated palate. Okay. So I took wine tasting. I studied abroad in Italy and I took a course that was wine tasting. I mean, I don't know how I got college credit for this. I just became completely in love and like infatuated with the wine world because I have a really good nose for it. So my mm. teacher was always like, you can smell things and taste things that a lot of people can't smell and taste. I'm like, mm, I'm getting barnyard door. I'm yeah. getting, you know, fresh moss on a dewy morning in Carmel, California. Like I can smell it all. You know, you can have the same varietal of grapes from the same region and nothing will taste the same. And that's mm -hmm. the craziest thing. Now I probably couldn't do a blind test. I've gotten to a train from some very cool Psalms in my day. But I just really have a good palate and I can tell you what's delicious and and what's going to, you know, give you that pop on the back of the throat. That's what we're all looking for. There's nothing worse to me than people who make wine unapproachable. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to be snooty to be in the wine business. The best wine you can have is like $5 from Portugal. You know what I mean? A Vino Verde from Spain. Like it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be riche. It just has to be delicious. And I like learning about the people who make wine because I love the family backstory. You know, I want to know like, 
what's the vineyard look like? What's the family dynamic? Is there drama? You know, <laughs> can you taste the drama in the wine? <laughs> yes, yes. Can you can you taste the family heartbreak in the wine? Exactly. So, what are your top three favorites right now? Ooh, well, you know what? I always go French. I love a Chateauneuf de Pop. It's one of my favorites. Um, I'm a hard Nebbiolo girl. If you like that Italian, I love a Vino Verde, which is just a, mm-hmm. like a kind of effervescent, almost light, slightly frizzante uh, wine from Spain. One of my favorites. You get it at Trader Joe's, five bucks. It'll be the most delicious thing you'll drink all summer. Time for a quick break. But when we come back, we'll explore Buford Highway, one of America's best kept food secrets. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous off the beaten path vacation spots with small town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. So you grew up in Atlanta. You live in Atlanta yeah. now, right? Um, yeah. I'm curious because, you know, you hear about food cities around the country, but I don't hear that much about Atlanta. So like, what are the foods of Atlanta if somebody's visiting? What is it known for? So Atlanta is a huge foodie spot. And I have been shouting it from the rooftops forever. We've got like a great food scene, great entertainment scene. It's like a mini LA, but without mm. all the bullshit. You know, I mean, listen, we're Southern, so we're known for our barbecue. We're known for really great Southern food, as in like shrimp and grits. But I think it's also people don't realize Atlanta is so diverse and eclectic. We have this area called Buford Highway, which is a um, long stretch of like you could get anything from dumplings from Singapore to Cantonese chicken to um, Taiwanese wontons. I mean, you could get anything and everything. There's an omakase place. Like it is so diverse b- mm. between so many different ethnicities. We really have like a plethora of options of food here. Buford Highway spans 30 miles through DeKalb County, starting at the eastern edge of Atlanta and stretching through four suburbs. But the section Heather is referring to with all the amazing food is a six-mile stretch home to 1,000 immigrant-owned businesses, including 100 immigrant-owned restaurants representing more than 20 countries. It's this really industrial kind of strip of highway. That's Jennifer Zeman, an Atlanta-based food writer and senior writer at Food & Wine magazine. Jennifer has lived in Atlanta on and off since 1978. You know, I used to tell people when I was a restaurant critic that it was probably the most interesting place to eat in Atlanta. You have been wonderful. 
what different countries are represented, what food is represented in that hundred restaurants? It's insane. You know, it's not just the country. It's like all the regions within. So like within Mexico, for instance, there's Oaxaca, there's Sinaloa, there's Yucatan, there's Vietnamese, but there's every type of Vietnamese food. There is Bangladeshi food, Colombian food, a lot of Korean. I always say that we probably have one of the largest Korean restaurant concentrations, maybe outside of California. I really liken it to how LA has become, you know, where there's just so many pockets and concentrations. And aside from Mexican restaurants, I would say Korean restaurants and Sichuanese Chinese dominate the food scene in that part of Atlanta. Jennifer says there were two big employment opportunities that brought an influx of immigrants from around the world to the Atlanta area, the 1996 Atlanta Olympics and chicken farms. And according to the National Council on Public History, Georgia continues to welcome two to three thousand refugees a year, most of whom settle in Clarkston, an Atlanta suburb that many people call the Ellis Island of the South or the most diverse square mile in America. And that makes for a delicious city. Beyond the strip malls, there are three main hubs along Buford Highway. One of them is Plaza Latina, a special place for Jennifer, whose parents are both immigrants from Mexico City. It's like a downtown square that you would find in like Mexico City. You can go get insurance. You can get some tacos. um, You can have fresh fried churros. You can get your quinceanera dress. It feels like you're in Mexico. I mean, you walk down these meandering paths and, you know, there's like a chicken place and then a carnitas place. And it's one of my favorite places to go with my family and hang out. (laughs) Yeah, I was reading your article. You know, you were talking about some of these foods that I've only had in Mexico City and I've never seen at restaurants in the States. And I was like, wow, that's really cool uh, that you have so much diversity in Mexican food there. Mexican cooks are just super trendy. And there's like all these like... Crazy things. It was like a sandwich filled with the tamale that you started seeing pop up on Mexican TikTok. And then like a month later, it was here. So there's like a faster to market from Mexico, like with trends than there ever used to be, probably because of social media. And I think that we're getting even more diversity. I want to try a tamale sandwich. I love a carb on carb. There's... (laughs) There's this pizza place in Salt Lake City when I was driving through once that I've stopped at multiple times because they have a calzone that is stuffed with spaghetti and meatballs. Sounds really good. It's so good. So is this kind of like a torta bread with the tomato? Yes, it it would be a torta bread and there's like salsa and probably like crema mexicana. I mean, you know, it's very fun. What is the Dora Locos that you wrote about? It's like a walking taco, you know, like if you've ever had one of those at camp or camping, but it's a bag of... Doritos that is cut open and then they put like all sorts of stuff inside like cheese, cream, lettuce, pickled pig skin, just so many weird things, but it tastes amazing. That's what I was talking about with those crazy trendy foods. There's just so many happening and that's the place I go to get a direct line and to what's happening in Mexico right now. There's this trend that you might see on TikTok like where you have like a drink that's made from like candy and like Powerade and has like what? a candy straw out of it. It's they put like sour candy in it. It's really sweet, but it's you know my my kid always wants one when we go. I bet, I bet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then there's the Buford Highway Farmers Market. Probably my favorite grocery store in Atlanta or really in Georgia. Is that, I mean, I drive 25 minutes to go there to buy my groceries because it's every single country from around the world is represented there. Like no matter where you're from, 
you're going to find what you need from your home country there. The parking lot is notoriously a crazy place <laughs> where you need to have your wits about you, but trust me, it's worth it. Um, and when you go inside, the first thing that you that you hit is the produce section, but it's a produce section that represents the world. So you can only imagine the variety and the color. But what you really smell is the panaderia, which is a Mexican bakery that's just beyond because they're making their own tortillas. They're making all of those Mexican sweetbreads that you like, um, like conchas and stuff like that. And I mean, the smell is just overwhelming. And then it's pretty much like a standard grocery store setup, but it is enormous, like with a food court, with a full on Korean section, there's a section where it's only Eastern European. And like, so there's like a Serbian woman making Serbian meat pies. And then there's a Russian woman making like blintzes. And then you go to the Korean section and they're making homemade dumplings. They have borscht and like homemade pickles and then like all the different salamis and stuff that you would find in Eastern wow. Europe, like oden from Japan. And then you can also get like you know, those great noodles from Sun Noodle Company. They have the kits in the freezer. It's just one of the best places to shop. When my parents who live in New York City come to Atlanta, they're like, when are we going? So right before they leave, we go and they like stock up with like refrigerator bags and tortillas from El Milagro, which is like a local company that makes some of the best um, corn tortillas without preservatives here. It's just a really special place. And it was started by Korean immigrants. It was like the first Asian store in Atlanta started in the mid 70s. And it's just gone through the generations. Its current owner, Harold Shin, um, who's an Emory graduate, uh, took it over from his family and is just is really responsible for making it what it is today. I've never thought about going to Atlanta. I just don't have any ties there. I hadn't any reason. And just talking to you, my heart is fluttering. Like I'm getting, I want to go so bad. It sounds good. Amazing. I'm, I'm, I know how to make you hungry, that I know how to do my job. I don't want to sound ignorant when I say this. So I'm curious to just see what your response is because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I read a lot about food. I want, I mean, I just feel like I'm like you, I'm in food journalism. I'm always looking around. And the fact that I wasn't familiar with this, I just was so surprised. Do you feel like it is still a little bit of a, a secret of the South or am I just somebody who hasn't noticed? No, I definitely feel like it's still a hidden secret of the South. And I feel that even within Atlanta, it's a hidden secret. I mean, I'm a mom and I'm at a mom gathering and people would be like, oh, I've just never been there. It's just, you know, it's like, they. I think they're intimidated, you know, and they shouldn't be because there's so much goodness there. But even within Atlanta, I mean, I know many, many people that have not gone to Buford Highway. So if there's people within Atlanta that don't go and know that I'm, I'm not surprised that even throughout the Southeast or the rest of the country, others don't. Hmm. I just try to talk about it as much as I can, because whenever anybody has ever said that Atlanta is not a great food town because they're looking at it by the traditional metrics of how many fine dining restaurants do we have? You know, how many how many James Beard award winners do we have? They're really missing because they've they've never been to Buford Highway. And honestly, Duluth, Atlanta is just it's a treasure trove of of wonderful immigrant led cuisine. When we come back, Heather McMahon's last meal. And it's a good one. If you like 
listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Let's talk about your last meal. If you only had one left, what would you choose? You know, I think about this all the time and I don't know what that says about me personally and like where I am at in my emotional journey of life, but I have it down to a T. Okay. It would be a little bit of a smorgasbord of things, but I really love steakhouses in general, but I love the sides. I don't even need the steak. So when I tell you I want the seafood tower, I want the cream spinach, I want the loaded baked potato, the potato layonnaise. I, I want every type of potato, every carb, every palm frite, every truffle fry. <laughs> I want the wedge salad with crumbled blue cheese and extra bacon. Um, I want the shrimp cocktail chilled, you know, with a nice cocktail sauce and some sort of remoulade. I would then also like to bring in a pasta course. So I would do like a spaghetti bolognese, rigatoni bolognese, maybe a cache pepe, maybe do a meat. You know, I might bring in, you know, maybe some tacos, some fish tacos straight from Cabo. It'd be a real mix up. But as long as I could have most of the steakhouse sides with the big hot fudge brownie a la mode at the end, a dirty martini and a bottle of Barolo, I'm ready to go. The sides really are the best. Everybody wants the sides. You know, that is the first thing I look at when I go to any restaurant. And of course, yes, what I love a filet, bone and ribeye, absolutely. But as long as I have like cream spinach and eight different types of carby, cheesy potatoes, (laughs) I am honestly solid. Like put me in the ground, I'm ready to go. Is there any kind of memory or something associated with this meal? Or is it just purely these are flavors that you like? You know, there's something about, and I I think this is like so true Americana, but there's something about going to a steakhouse to celebrate something, Mm -hmm. right? Think about it. Like when you graduated high school or when you graduated college, or if you ever had like this big moment, we always went to this one steakhouse in Atlanta called Bones. And it's very iconic. It's kind of like Atlanta's version of Peter Luger's, you know, the Mm -hmm. iconic steakhouse in New York where they know your name, they wear the white button down, but it's still not pretentious. Like when you walk in, they're like, hello, Miss McMahon, we're so happy to see you. They already know what I want to drink. Like my chilled uh, Chopin dirty martini is on the table before I sit down. And so there's just something about this, like it's almost like a good old boys club, members only, but also you're like there to celebrate your sixth grade graduation. So why are they serving me a martini? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's iconic to me. It really is. Yeah. No, it totally. Do they have the big booths there? Like the big red kind of booths yeah so they have those in like the private rooms like if Mm -hmm. you went to bones for a private dining experience that was just i mean that was like mother's day every year you know you had to go there you had to get the private room um and now that's just my favorite feeling i love a steakhouse i love even a chain steakhouse i'll go to any chain steakhouse you take me to an outback oh i'm thriving i'm absolutely thriving Yes, I have to say, I don't go to chains that often, but I went to an Outback Steakhouse. It was late. There was nothing open. It was so good. I couldn't so believe good. it. 
I couldn't like that bread. I forgot about the bread that they gave you. It's super dark brown, kind of like molassesy bread. Yes. Delicious. And is it, are they the Bloomin' Onion? They're the Bloomin' Onion. Onion, And they have those those loaded fries. And I just feel like if you can't go somewhere and get, you know, a margarita and a Bloomin' Onion and not be in a good mood, then that's Mm -hmm. on you. Then you're just a, just a really dark, you know, miserable human. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For her last meal, Heather McMahon wants a tableful of steakhouse sides, cream spinach, every single preparation of potato possible, a seafood tower, a wedge salad, shrimp cocktail, plus a hot fudge brownie a la mode sundae, a dirty martini, and a bottle of Barolo. Like Heather mentioned earlier, she got married in Italy. So an Italian wedding in Tuscany, tell me about the food at your wedding. That was honestly the most important thing. And anybody who's listening, who's planning a wedding, the only thing anybody gives a about is the bar and the food and like the entertainment. Um, I found an amazing uh, company called Kitchen Wishes and it's an all female catering business. The big thing is to in Italy, like it's a pretty male dominated field. You know, you have the known as cooking, but you never see in like really professional kitchens, a lot of female mm. chefs. So when I found this team of women who everything was like biodynamic, organic, like unbelievable, I said, that's who's got to do the food for my wedding. And it was absolutely delicious. Unreal. What did you have? What are some of the dishes? Oh, I'll tell you. We had veal salt and boca. We had um, almost like a beggar's purse. So we had like, imagine like a ravioli stuff with a potato puree and black truffles on top. Uh, What else? We had a rigatoni pomodoro we had this insane fish dish with like capers and oranges and lemon and just like olive oil that's the thing too in italy everything is so fresh you can have the simplest dish and it's just absolutely yes and then Mm. i had the most insane charcuterie uh aperitivo meat and cheese uh we had one guy who was just like making fresh mozzarella uh, as you walked into the wedding, it was insane. Like stretching it? Yes, yes. Like a lot of art. It was awesome. See, that's a show right there. That's like, you know, in the 80s, like they'd have jugglers at bar mitzvahs and you had this yeah. mozzarella stretcher. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure people left stuffed and lubricated up, you know? What did you do for a cake? Um, We did a classic Italian cake um, and you like build the cake in front of everybody. So we had the fireworks go off while we built this huge cake that was the size of a, you know, a kitchen table. So it's layers of like pastry, almost like phyllo dough, if Mm. you will. And then um, vanilla Chantilly cream. And then you put berries on it and then you put more layers. So you build. It's the art of building the cake in front of everybody at your wedding. And then as the fireworks went off, the ash from the fireworks that were too close came down on the cake. And we just had to like run and duck for cover. (laughs) I mean, I still ate it, but no, I definitely think it was highly carcinogenic. (laughs) You know, like carcinogenic. (laughs) Italians are thriving. They live to like be 200 years old. So a little firework dust won't hurt you. I've never heard of that before. Is that a a, a tradition all over Italy or in that region to make the cake? I could have been been bamboozled by my wedding planner, but I do think it was pretty traditional. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. So so they just had like the bowls of the cream and the berries and then just you and your husband would build it or everybody? No, we were building it and everybody stood around and then the fireworks went off. And then, you know, people were at that point literally just grabbing with their hands like animals. And that's how drunk we were. We were all just eating cake as ash rained down on us. It was it was the most magical, beautiful moment of my life. I love that. Do you know what the name of that cake is? 
I should. I'm Italian. I should. It's uh, Mila uh, Mila Fajola. I'm 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 completely butchering it right now. Every Italian American is going to scream at me. I'm going to get the most hate comments because I can't remember the name of this cake right now. So no, like, no, I love no. like a, a traditional like torta della nonna, which is like traditional cake that like your grandmother would make. So we also served that. We had tiramisu. Uh, and then we had just an, an open limoncello bar because that's the big thing in Italy. Like you got to have the after dinner drink to pair with the dessert. So we had limoncello, Montenegro on the rocks. Like we had it all. We were ready to go. The Internet tells me that Heather's wedding cake is called a millefeuille, which translates to 1000 layers. It's layers of puff pastry and chantilly cream and fresh berries. And the French claim that they invented it in the 1600s. The Russians, who call it a Napoleon, say they created it in 1912. Either way, in modern times, Italians serve it at weddings all the time. Well, let's do a quick speed round before I let you go. So back yeah. to cake again. What would be your perfect birthday cake? Oh, easy. So traditionally growing up, I was obsessed with a strawberry cake. OK, so strawberry cake, real strawberries in it. And then that strawberry icing, fresh strawberries sliced on top. I don't know what it is, but a pink mm. cake is just the most mouthwatering. I never crave chocolate. I don't crave vanilla. I crave an old school strawberry cake. I wonder, is that more of a Southern thing? I feel like I don't see a pink strawberry cake very often. I think it definitely is a Southern thing. And then you would get it with like a scoop of like lemon sorbet or vanilla ice cream or like buttermilk Mm. ice cream. Like that is a very happy birthday for me. What was your favorite thing that one of your parents cooked when you were a kid growing up? Ooh, well, you know, we're Italian. My mom literally, I mean, I hate to sound traditional, but the spaghetti and meatballs, like Mm -hmm. her meatballs are the best thing you've ever had. She has a perfect ratio of veal to pork to beef and she doesn't mess around. Like she still goes to the butcher. You know, she won't like just stop at Whole Foods. She has to go to a local butcher to get her her accoutrements for these meatballs. It's unbelievable. When I'm homesick and I'm on the road, I call her and I say, can you make the meatballs? That's what I want when I come home. Uh, What is your favorite movie theater snack? Ooh, Okay. This is partially me bringing it in. You can buy half of it there and then half of it you have to bring with you. Yeah. Okay, get a big box of Cheez-Its. Then get peanut butter M&Ms. I know, sounds unhinged, but put the peanut butter M&Ms in the box of Cheez-Its, you know, and then get like a giant Diet Coke. I don't know <laughs> what it is about the the saltiness of the Cheez-Its with the peanut butter. It's like my favorite snack. That sounds good. It reminds me of, you know, those like little, it was like the cheese crackers with the peanut butter in between that you yes. get in that little thing. Yes. It's kind of like that. That's exactly it. It's exactly yeah. it. And that was Heather McMahon's last meal. There's nothing that makes me more uh, joyful than talking about food. So this oh, was I'm a so glad. Before she made a full-time living doing comedy, Heather says she was a bartender, a server, a valet, and she worked at a gym. Is it true that you almost got fired from SoulCycle in LA because you were eating behind the desk? Yeah, um, (laughs) HR came up and they said, hey, this is a gym where celebrities like to bettering themselves. And I would always eat like a Chipotle burrito bowl at the front desk because I was hungover. (laughs) And they were like, eat it in the closet. I was like, fine, I'll shamefully eat my Chipotle in the closet. It was a burrito bowl. There wasn't even a tortilla. I don't see what the problem is. Thank you. Basically keto. They needed to to relax. Yeah. Go to heatherontour.com to get tickets to one of her shows, or you can find a link in the show notes. Thanks to Jennifer Zeman, Atlanta-based food writer and senior writer at Food & Wine magazine. Jennifer told me her top five places to eat on Buford Highway. If you want that list, subscribe to my newsletter. It's rachelbell.substack.com. Your Last Meal was created and produced by me and is a product of Seattle's Cascade Public Media. 
Sound engineering assistance from Sarah Bernard. Original theme music by Prom Queen. Whether this is the first time you've listened to the show or you've been listening for all seven years, if you've never left a review on Apple Podcasts, we would be so happy if you did. It is a free, quick, super easy way to support the show. I know every podcaster says it, but I swear to you that it actually does help the show out. Follow along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell, B-E-L-L-E. And if you have a comment, a question, you can write to me. Go to yourlastmealpodcast.com. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Molly Shannon started following me on Instagram two days ago, and I literally, I screamed and I threw my phone. I was with my husband. I was like, Molly Shannon, and I just screamed her name, and I threw my phone across Ugh. the yard. He's like, what happened? I'm like, she followed me. I don't believe it's real. He's like, okay, I think you broke your phone. And I was like, just look, just look, is it her? And I, I died. I mean, that's like the most iconic moment of my life. Can you give me one second? My cat is like screaming her head off. I'm just going to yeah. give her a little food so she's quiet. Yeah. One second. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm no, you're fine. Okay. She doesn't know we're doing an interview.